Hello and welcome. I'm Deb, host of Deb's Data Dojo and researcher for Calling All Beings. Deb's Data Dojo is part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I get to speak to Chris, also known as at Ghost Archetype or the Beautiful Underground. He's going to talk to me about his interest in the paranormal. Chris is a licensed and practicing transpersonal mental health therapist, a U.S. Air Force vet, and he has an interest in Fortean lore, psychic phenomena, and the occult. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Deb. <laughs> okay, so can let's start with um, interpreting or understanding some of those terms. Um, I'd really like to understand what transpersonal mental health therapist means. So the idea behind transpersonal is um, to include, uh, say, the spiritual uh, dimension into therapy. Um, it isn't what it isn't um, um, spiritual therapy. But clients um, and all the service we t uh, surveys we take and the research shows that they want to talk about these um, anomalous, sometimes numinous, sometimes disturbing experiences with their therapists. Um, but therapists um, are trained um, to deny, basically, those the existence of anomal anomalous phenomena. So transpersonal therapists take uh, that step to include that in our practice and the way we view the client um, as an important part of the psychic reality. Um, so when you, I guess one of the... Um, Kevin Arnold is his name, but he's a psychologist and he released a paper in 2007 talking about the idea of um, instead of psychosis, um, maybe we were looking at spiritual emergencies and he's making the claim that in our um, diagnoses, the DSM-5, we should be able to differentiate um, our diagnoses for people who are you know, whether you call it ontological shock um, or as Kevin Arnold's term, uh, spiritual emergency, they both point to um, a reality of a lot of people around the globe that needs to be re recognized and integrated into treatment. So transpersonal tries to accommodate that which regular therapy um, would consider pathological. Now, is that something that one trains to be a part of, or is that just something that one can can offer in addition to normal um, licensure and services? And I think it may be the same with other fields, but there's, um, especially in psychology therapy, um, somebody comes up with a therapy and then it's trademark, it's copyright, and then, then there's an institute. So... Um, calling yourself certain therapy like for me i'm um i, I grew up on young uh, or you know young it was my is my uh, you know considered my hero um but it's not uh, 
you so it's hard to say I'm this type of therapist because somebody will say, well, you can't say you're Jungian because you didn't do this, that, and the other thing, and you're not licensed here and that. So transpersonal is probably the most generic I can get without offending um, institutions who have trademark and copyrighted their theories. Okay, yeah, I just I was curious because psychology is my background as well, so I was just wondering if this was something someone so could you, sign up for. Or it definitely, it definitely tells self-taught. I mean, even when I went to grad school, I wanted to, um, you know, they you're allowed to practice different modalities, and I wanted to have a you know a depth psychology an archetypal type. Um, uh, approach that would allow for dream work. And, you know, they just didn't offer it. They accommodated it because um, that's what I wanted to do. And, but I mostly, you know, in grad school, I took the courses that, you know, they had, but I, you know, did a lot of taught myself and, um, you know, with the colleagues outside of my graduate uh, cohort um, to get what we're you not being taught in school. It's not aligned to the insurance industry model. And, the training now is almost restricted by, well, this is what you need to do to get reimbursed. Um, it's not, we're, we're not doing the type of research and broadening uh, the scope of our practice like we should and have, you know, as early as 50 years ago. Yes, un unfortunately, other than you coming forward and talking about this, the only other group that I am aware of is OPUS, O-P-U-S, um, who yeah. work. And I don't know if you have uh, connected with them and offered assistance or um, anything like that, but I haven't heard of a lot of other training for people that reaches out to these areas. No, and there was... Um an attempt to get this information into the APA. I, I think it was John Mack who submitted um, something to the APA just to say, hey, we need to, we need to talk about this. And um, even again, when you look at the research, the, you know, the, the therapists are saying we need training in this. Um, and it's just not coming out. It's there is a huge stigma, and we talk about with the pilots and UFOs, the stigma of them coming forward. Um, therapists of all stripes, um, if they practice for any length of time, will experience um, clients um, anomalous experiences or have them themselves. Um, but you don't talk about it. Right. In fact, that was recently mentioned in the Liberation Times article. Um, I have the name here. Why the defense repercussions found by OSAP are profound. They mentioned the psychology aspect. And one thing that was brought up was that, unfortunately, most therapists are not prepared to accept the realities of the phenomenon. That's right. Yeah. It's it, even when I talk to my colleagues, you know, I'm only on here as Chris. Um, I'm not sure yet because um, not only is there a lack of information on how to integrate this into our practice, um, there's a lack of information of, okay, how do I set up a practice that, you know, caters the wrong word, but um, specializes in, in this type of thing without your colleagues being like, oh, that's the, um, you know, that's the therapist who deals with all the people who uh, 
um, think they're abducted by aliens or have ghosts in their house. Um, you know, there is a need to bring this to a level of seriousness that at least my colleagues will be like, oh, good. Um, if something comes up, can I, you know, ask you, you know, uh, consult with you and stuff like that. But that doesn't happen because we don't talk about it. Right. It's unfortunate. It's almost like stigma about trying to stop stigma. It's, you know, it's just built yeah. on, on itself. And, and, it, you know, I, I want to go back to what you said about the John Mack attempt to get the APA on board. Um, it's not well known, but Bigelow and an anonymous donor worked together to do a public poll yep. um, to, uh, with experiencers. They created a pamphlet and they sent the pamphlet all around the country to members of the APA. And they offered also to do a conference to educate them on the issue. Unfortunately, it seems that nothing came of that. Um, I have never heard of it until I found the pamphlet. I didn't even know it was for the APA. Um, yeah, they buried it. Right. It's definitely not something that gets touched on when you're in Psych 101 or, you know, in any <laughs> classes. It's unfortunate. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult to provide adequate treatment if we're not aware of what we need to be doing. So, yeah. And just to piggyback on that real quick, there is a new book that came out. Um, I just remember it came out in 2019 by Dr. Paul Leslie. Um, and it's called Shadows in the Session. And he is the first, I, I believe, psychologist, you know, since the days of Jung, um, who came out and said, all right, I'm having these experiences with my clients in session. And I wonder what other of my colleagues around the world have the same thing. So he collected this, uh, all the stories of these psychologists in this book. Um, and certain professions, I guess, just you're going to encounter this type of thing. And, you know, the ones who aren't trained are just going to be like, it's weird or it needs to be medicated away. So Shadows in the Session is a, is a good book that kind of deals with the fact that, yes, uh, us therapists are, are experiencing these things. And every one of those psychologists in there was anonymous. They didn't want to put their name out there. Right. And I did want to mention for um, listeners that therapy is supposed to be treating um, symptoms, not causes. So that is ideally how that works. That when you go to a therapist, they are supposed to be taking care of the depression, the anxiety, helping you work through that. They are not supposed to be judging you based on the causes. Unfortunately, when, when that is happening, um, that's because they're not well-trained and that's kind of what we're talking about. They, they need more training. Yeah. And one of the first things they teach you in school is, um, you are a therapist, you are a counselor, you not, are not an investigator, you are not an interrogator. It's not your job, um, to find out if what they're saying is true. That's not your role. Um, what you as a therapist should be doing is taking whatever is happening in their life and hopefully finding, helping them find meaning in it. Um, and 
even if it is a fantasy that they've made up for whatever reason, there's still meaning in the fantasy. There's still meaning in the lie. And we're not investigators and sessions aren't interrogations. And we should remember that. Right. I think, unfortunately, in the history of the phenomenon, which I like to use more often now than just UAPs, because I understand there's quite a bit more going on than objects. Um, I feel like in the history, psychology has been used almost like a weapon. First, it was used to silence the public by talking about, you know, mass hysteria and fears of mass hysteria, which, you know, people wholly misunderstand because there's not really such a thing as mass hysteria, like in, yeah, in a global no. scale. Even yeah. if it, even if that did happen, it would be temporary as it has been in every case. Yeah, also, yeah. And then there are true incidents that happen that get lumped in with that with no explanation about why that would even make sense. That's, um, for instance, um, the aerial school incident was listed as an example of mass hysteria without any explanation as to why it was put there. Yeah. Like, because none at all, not even claiming there was any psychological disturbance at all. But, yeah. I mean, the only characteristic that it would have with mass hysteria is that they were tight knit. I mean, they were, they were classmates. Other than that, you know, because, you know, with mass hysteria, in the cases where it can occur, it's a tight knit group and there's intent behind it. There, it's not, um, it just doesn't manifest randomly. It's not a causal. Um, it, it originates from somewhere, and it uses the weapon. It uses a weapon, and this is this is my shadow that I, comes out sometimes. I thoroughly dislike when people will say in the, the hallucinating or that's just delusional, and um, and these are just you know people online, but it's. Man, that that for me is I, I have to I have to step away every now and then because they have no right to say um, somebody's uh, perspective is a delusion or a hallucination. Right. Yeah, I think we could go into a whole another conversation about how little we understand in actuality about our own perspective. <laughs> but yeah. But I wanted to touch on another way that psychology has been used as a weapon, unfortunately, and that has to do with the military. It seems that often in the past when people tried to approach their senior officers regarding UAP incidents, they were told that they would have to go get a psychological evaluation. And if they did get that psychological evaluation, from then on, people could say, well, you had to go see someone for psychiatric help. And it seems yep. like um, the, they were lose-lose in that, that case, right? So they either went without help or they got it and were told, see, you're crazy. And they hand out those psyche valves uh, fairly quickly, I know. And this is, you know, self-disclosure on my part when I was at, you know, boot camp. Um, you know, they give you all kinds of surveys and questionnaires. And one of the questionnaires is asking, you know, uh, questions about death, like, are you afraid to die? And, you know, that type of stuff. And, um, you know, personally, from a spiritual standpoint, I'm, I, you know, I'm afraid to you know, think about what happens to the ones I leave behind. But I personally um, have, you know, faith in something. Um, 
but that triggered them <laughs> to um, do a psyche valve on me. And at the end, I asked, you know, when I passed, I was like, what? And they're like, well, you had, you know, you're not afraid of death and all that stuff. And I think they were, didn't want any type of Rambo type personality out there. Um, but it, it just did just that triggered a psyche valve. And um, nothing ever came in my career, um, but it was just something real little. And then, Right. I, I, I feel like uh, Clifford Stone spoke about how they kept trying to push him to do one. And he was like, now I know as soon as I do it, how you're going to use it against me. So I don't know. It seems like uh, no win-win on that one. And I think that's unfortunate because we clearly have people who are dealing with PTSD after encountering something that they were not prepared to deal with mentally. Um, it's, you know, people use terms like cognitive dissonance, um, but it really boils down to if, if you're basically going through shock, <laughs> you, yeah. you encountered something that your brain was not prepared to register. In fact, many people think we're still not registering everything because we just are not capable of it. And then, you know, they're not getting what they needed for assistance with it. Yeah, I think in uh, Liberation Times, they used the term ontological shock. And I thought that that resonated with me. Um, I, I talked about Kevin Arnaud's, he, he said spiritual emergency, and that resonates. But ontological shock feels um, people can digest that once they look up that term. And yeah, it's real. It's trauma. Um, so there is no such thing as a vacuum, especially in your psyche. Um, so trauma um, will fill up that vacuum. It doesn't matter if it's because um, you're a new kitten, um, you know, passed away, <laughs> or if you see a UFO, that it will fill up the vacuum. Um, so the fact that they would just deny that manifestation of trauma because it's not uh, cataloged in a certain way it's and i think that comes down to a lot of the secrecy because they have done things um whether via policy or not that they will have to answer for um so it's they back themselves into a corner and now the light is going to shine on them and they're going to have to fess up to a bunch of things and I don't know how it's going to turn out. Well, I certainly hope when they passed the NDAA that when they were talking about the biological medical interests that they were going to have, that they were also including the psychological, you know, they were going to yes. start really taking it seriously because I think there's increased recognition that that is an issue um, unfortunately, you know, since, since we were saying before, you know, Mac and Bigelow, they were all working on this decades ago. So we're a little behind, but hopefully we're going to yeah. get there and step up now, right? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one person here, I know for me, um, you know, hearing people like Mishlove, um, Jeffrey Mishlove is, you know, he inspires me um, to slowly come out, Dr. Paul Leslie coming out. Um, you know, just little things like that. And then me coming out, you know, even though I'm still just Chris and no last name, um, we, we, and again, the hesitancy is, okay, how do we do this without, um, you know, becoming a segment on the Dr. Phil show? Um, 
we want to do it seriously, um, but we know the inevitable backlash we'll get from the critics. And then Mishlov even said that people have lost their license because of this. Now, I don't know anybody who has, but, you know, I, I'm sure he could give the details. Well, I know they went after Mac at Harvard. Yeah. They pretty seriously investigated him. Um, and it was difficult for him to keep doing what he was doing. So, so let's uh, turn it to a more positive note. Let's talk about someone who is serious in psychiatry and psychology, who a lot of people have been quoting and mentioning, and you know who it's going to be, Carl yeah. Jung. Can you please tell people who Carl Jung is and a little bit about what he's been saying and how it relates to the phenomenon? Why do people keep mentioning him? So... Carl Jung um, was uh, contemporaries with Freud. Um, the, basically, Freud looked at him as his predecessor. Um, Freud, a neurologist, a psychiatrist, very hard science. Um, and Jung, who you know was um, at the end of his career, I think it's safe to say that Jung was more mystic than he was medical. Um, and you know, I, I I appreciate that in him. But um, Bernardo Castro has a very good way of describing uh, Carl Jung and how he is, he was the, he kept the light lit through the 20th century for the acknowledgement of something greater. Um, psychology wanted to get recognized. They wanted to come out of the philo philosophy classrooms and they wanted to be recognized as a science. So they were the zeitgeist of the time was to remove anything that the hard scientists can say that doesn't make any sense. Um, so a lot of things that they would develop, even though they were experiencing things in session, one example with Freud is, so we all know about telepathy to be able to, you know, read, you know, get thoughts from other people. Well, this, this kept happening to Freud and Freud did not want to acknowledge that it was happening in session. So he gave it a fancy name called thought transference. Um, you know, so it's like, oh, oh yeah, it's, basically saying, yeah, sometimes telepathy happens in a session. So Jung was not afraid to say that these things were there. So he kept that, uh, he opened up um, various terms that when he, when they come, when you hear about them, they resonate so much with you like, oh yeah, that's what the name is, like archetype, um, the collective unconscious. Um, right now in the context of, um, UFOs, you know, and that's where I go. I know UFOs, but I'm always the UFO guy. Um, he saw them as representative of the collective unconscious, a manifestation of um, ourself and our, you know, for wholeness. But then at the end of his research, said that, but they're physical, you know, so we're dealing with something that's physical and psychic um, or consciousness. And the collective unconscious to um, young was filled with these archetypes. Archetypes are like cookie cutters, um, but they hold meaning like the mother archetype, um, the father archetype. Um, archetypes, he referred to them as psychic organs. Um, they're there in the collective unconscious to ensure that humanity has a similar evolution. 
Um, everybody is born, has a mother or has the experience of being mother. Even if that mother may be out of the picture, the archetype is filled um, with them through input from the collective unconscious. He saw the collective unconscious as um, having a type of volition on its own and a will. Um, he also saw that our interactions with archetypes with um, over the course of our life um, creates what we would call complexes. Now, you could become obsessed or possessed with an archetype. And um, these, you know, become complexes. Anyway, the idea is the collective unconscious can manif manifest physical. The collective unconscious is there to ensure that we have a similar psychic development. The phenomenon seems to follow a pattern that mimics the technological age of our time, almost like it's putting a carrot in front of us, you know, and, uh, you know, we can go back to where, you know, they were seeing a stairway to heaven to a flying carriage, you know, it, it would morph with the time that would make sense. Um, now, of course, you know, in the 14 lore, you can go back and people were seeing flying saucers and, and the like, um, you know, and paintings in the Renaissance and stuff like that. But the idea is that it is reactive um, to us on a conscious level. Yes, can you please explain the 14 lore? That was definitely one of those things I wanted a better explanation of as well. It, so Fortean lore is everything, um, UFOs, Bigfoot, Mothman. Um, and the way I kind of describe Fortean lore is, you know, these little small local newspapers um, that have published these weird events or experiences that people in their community have had. Um, and a lot of these small newspapers, if anybody's familiar with them, you know, they're not out to smear their fellow community members. Um, so people have been having experiences um, with something or um, something singular or plural. Um, and I find it fascinating that I can pull up a newspaper clipping from 1960 and read an article about a woman who woke up to find three orange men um in her you know bedroom and you know with jacques valet we'll talk about how um it's like Bakuki uh, theater um or the absurdity of the manifestations are um because they repeat themselves appear to be intentional so do you do you get the sense that it's um I believe he's called it a trickster? Do you get that sense that it's part of this game that the phenomenon is playing with us? I believe that there is a trickster entities. Um my first experience um was with what I now go back um as a trickster entity. Um but I do believe we're dealing with all the above because the collective unconscious throughout history of humanity is recording everybody's not only their lives but their their mental experiences and the collective unconscious will grow and change um with us that the fit young said that the actual physical world 
is the manifestation of our collective unconscious. I mean, he's getting into that idealism though, but, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I kind of, uh, uh, I wander on these topics because that's okay. I feel, I feel like there's a connection, um, to a lot of different things going on. And one thing that's interesting is that if you look at people who are studying DNA right now, they're saying that what we do in our lives, how we interact with the world impacts our genes, basically turning them on and off. I think they call it epigenetics or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and it seems very similar to some of the consciousness concepts, the idea that, you know, um, we're kind of manifesting things and it's, we're actually literally having a physical effect on ourselves. Does that I, I believe that, I, you know, I, I, I believe that. I mean, there is, you can get into like the idealism, like, you know, with Castro, it's analytical idealism where everything's kind of a manifestation of um, one consciousness and all of us are disassociated alters of this one consciousness. And when we um, see ghosts or, or aliens, we're seeing disassociated parts of this larger consciousness. And if, if that is the model, everything is true. You know, it, it comes down to like whatever you can imagine um, it could be. And that comes back to that absurdity aspect to it, which to me is just it's, that is interesting. Yes. Well, I mean, is it absurd or is it we just don't understand? Because I'm fairly sure we didn't even know that much about genes, say, I don't know, 50 years ago, right? So yeah. so some things are just things we do not understand yet. Um, I even, I, I've see, seen people say, even when it comes to UAPs, they're clearly um, doing something that's natural in some way. We just don't understand it because we haven't learned everything yet. I, I Yeah, absolutely. And the way we look at it and I heard somebody, um, I think it was uh, Nolan uh, who just recently said something to the effect of um, we're expecting to um, have these experiences in, uh, individually, that this intelligence is trying to communicate to us individually. Um, but what if it looks at us as, looks at humanity as one giant organism um, and it's trying to get the attention of the organism like we would get the attention of a beehive um so it's not trying to reach out to us individually in that model um but it's trying to just prod humanity as one organism right which again goes into what valet is kind of implying that we're being guided towards something that it yeah it's all and it, it is interesting it's really for some reason as we talk about this i'm thinking about like an old-fashioned typewriter you know how you like push down the keys one at a time it's not quite as fast and smooth as keyboards nowadays you really have to push really calculate getting those keys in place yeah. so maybe it's like they're trying to send a message pushing the buttons down and they're like when are they going to read the sentence we are writing <laughs> yeah and you know with the crop circles that i mean that Obviously, some of the hoaxes, and I, I hate having to preface that before everything, every topic, but there is certainly some crop circles that have been um, manifested by something that we didn't do. Um, and they 
there's an intelligence that just seems to emanate them emanate from them and what are they trying to tell us you know so how do you talk to humanity that may be you know kind of what's you know partially what's going on and um but the absurdity factor keeps you going in a hundred different directions and you know somebody like john keel um kind of like drove him off the edge at the end so I would, I guess I want to go back a little bit. You started talking about um, your experiences. Would you be willing to share a little bit about your own personal experiences with the phenomenon? Yeah. So the, the first thing I'd say is um, there was no craft. There was no, it wasn't a UFO. I'm not even sure if I would put it in that category. Um, it was an entity. Um there's a therapeutic intervention that we uh, we use, very simple, but um, the idea, you just ask the client, what's your earliest memory? And the idea is that your earliest memory will change based on the mood when I ask you that question. Um, but when I do my own therapy and, you know, my own uh, introspection, I have this, my first memory is this entity. Um, and, you know, for the longest time, I called it um, the devil baby. <laughs> That's just what I called it. I was three, four years old. Um, and it would, there was, my mom had this um, owl cookie jar and the head came off and she put it on the counter so I couldn't reach it because I wanted cookies. And this entity, like I was trying to get, this entity was walked up the counter and knocked the lid off. Um, and it fell on the ground and broke and you know, I got blamed for it. I was like, I did not do that. Um, Can you tell me what it looked like, the entity? It was, I called it the devil baby. Um, but I don't like that term now because I don't think it was ever being malevolent. It was screwing with me. It was teasing me. That's why I came to call it a trickster. But it looked like, like a Benjamin Button type of baby, like a baby that, was an old man um, that was older than it was. And obviously it's affect and the way it moved and wasn't baby like, but that's how it, you know, presented itself to me. And of course, now looking back, if it was interfacing with my collective unconscious um, at that point in my life, I didn't have a lot of archetypes integrated. I had the mom, the dad, the, ho the house, family. There wasn't a lot of archetypes integrated. So when this trickster entity shows up, perhaps he shows up in the way that I would find as threatening. But again, I, it never hurt me. It, it was... Um, and then, you know, I we moved away from there and there was other experiences that I had um, throughout my life. Um, and kind of what led me to counseling is like, kind of what's going on here? Like, I know I'm not um, crazy to use a non-clinical term, um, but I'm having these experiences nonetheless. And so I went, started uh, practicing and you know, we had a, one, my advisor was a great, great lady. Um, even though she didn't kind of know what I wanted to do, she was just like, hey, go ahead. Um, and, but she told me, she's like, we were talking about synchronicities and she said, you'll find that whatever problems you're going through at the moment, personally, the next client in your 
the next client that walks through your door is going to be having that same problem. So if you're dealing with problems, your marriage, the, your client's going to walk in dealing with problems of marriage. And it's so um, interesting how that works. Well, I start to get clients who were having anomalous experiences. Like it just, I kept getting those, those clients and the synchronicity, um, I guess the, the definition that I have of it is when our conscious intention is aligned with the unco- collective unconscious and they come into alignment, basically it's a synchronicity is kind of like you're on the right path. Um, you're vibrating at the resonant freak that you need to be on right now. And the way that I will let you knew, know the collective unconscious is to give you these little things along the path to let you know you're going the right way. And they can give you the uh, the opposite synchronicity to say, hey, don't go any further. Um, so I would it's have these experiences. Go ahead. I was going to say it's interesting. I hear a lot of people talk about um, things like getting downloads that guide them or wondering why they end up where they do and kind of feeling like they're being driven. Um, people used to use terms like destiny, um, serendipity, you know, things like that. I feel like uh, you just you have a different vocab for it, but you, you're more aware of it. Yeah, it's and there, there's somebody. um on Twitter and um, he's a great Jock Keel, uh, but he um, said one time that her people who have experience with the phenomena or if they don't, they're just touched. And once that happens, once that's activated, um, you become hooked by it. And for me, I was driven into this and um, you know, partially, you know, now I know why I'm, I don't like the term psychic. Um, I get, but I get impressions that have been validated, um, you know, through 20 years of marriage and now 10 years of practice with my colleagues. It's just, I can get an impression when I sit with somebody that I know my colleagues don't. Um, And, you know, Milton Erickson, uh, another famous um, psychologist, was the same way. He had these, he, he would never call it psychic. He just, you get downloads, I guess is the term for it. And I always call them impressions. But it's not images. It's just all of a sudden, yeah. this is, okay, I know. I feel like a lot of people talk about um, that they're empaths. And, and then, of course, a lot of those people end up in the psychology field. Um, so I don't know. I wonder, you know, is it we're driven to the field because we have some of those innate abilities, do you think? Or do you think it's just a overall curiosity um, about all of it? I think both. Um, I think the innate ability part... So, Counseling is hard. Uh, therapy is hard. Um, you know, you, I work construction jobs, 50 or 60 hours a week. And they, the level of exhaustion I would have after that job was nowhere compared, compared to six, seven, eight clients in a row. Um, so it's exhausting. And the need, you, there needs to be an innate ability um, because you become robotic. Um, you know, and that's kind of the system that is designed right now, get as many people through as possible. Um, 
but they, there is an idea of there is a sense that I am here because I get these impressions. Um, what am I going to use it for? It wasn't like a conscious idea, but you know, I imagine you know great athletes, you know, just know they just are led to a sport where they excel. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it probably happens for other people. Um, in fact, I think Dr. Pasolka calls it, of course, like a calling. I don't know if you've read American Cosmic. Yeah. Uh, she's great, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how she looked at um, from the religion and folklore aspect where she right off the bat says, I'm here to see if what these people are telling me is right or wrong. That's just document the experience. Just listen to people. Um, and the reception that she's got, especially from our community, has been nothing but positive because she's she's not out there trying to um, with you know trying to get people. It's just like, hey, I'd like to hear this because this is not going away. It's fascinating. It's my undergrad was in social psychology, so I close as I can get to you. <laughs> well, I feel like um, her approach has definitely been, you know, more open-minded. Like, she, she's also been very honest about her own opinion at the same time. And, and for some reason, she manages to do that without being offensive. <laughs> I wish we could all do it's that, hard. right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, when so people can I, do that, it's like, oh, wow. Good. Yeah, I know. I just I hope everyone starts learning that skill because she's she took it very seriously. She took it with an uh, you know her own opinions still intact and was willing to change her opinions over time. I think that you know I think we need more academics to come in with that approach. Um, people who are willing to listen, not necessarily put their opinion first. They can bring their opinion but who are willing to listen to the other opinions. I couldn't agree more. And it's a recent phenomena. You know, it's, you know, only for the past hundred years have we been conditioned as a culture to deny this stuff. Um, you know, 150 years ago, you know, uh, that wasn't the case. Um, so our culture needs to change. Um, almost to phenomena. The, our culture, the way it's structured right now, it, it, it's almost um, it's misaligned with where the phenomena wants to take us. And I actually, McKenna I, hits on that. Right. I keep I keep talking about you know when you look at the psychology of humans, there's about three tiers, and one is magic. One is science and one is religion. And we used to be at a place where I think those things were more connected. And now, you know, maybe we're coming back to being connected on those three again. Um, but there was quite a delay. It wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's a recent phenomenon. But we don't know that, you know, because it's all we know. Um, you know, but if... You know, you could place our culture 200 years ago. Um, 
this stuff wouldn't be as dismissed as easily and the internet and the way we're able to share information now it's um there's no way of denying it the only way is how do we integrate what's happening and i believe cultural and societal changes are necessary to integrate this because as we're structured now i don't believe we can integrate the phenomena yeah it's a little too much opposition right yeah you know it's interesting i, I added little to your shopping list. <laughs> my alexa tried to chime in on that one for some reason that was odd <laughs> i don't know if you heard that um i'm definitely wasn't I, talking to it was alexa oh, okay yeah i was like i don't well we're not i, I thought it was somebody in the room no it was alexa and i'm like it's so funny because what i was about to say was um i remember jock Fillet talked a little bit about how the next phase for us is going to be basically like the internet right and i can't help but find myself comparing the collective consciousness to the internet and how we basically are using ai to do what we may have already been doing but not so aware of does that make sense yeah, I have um, no. It, it's absolutely a lot of players, and I have a theory too because we have. I think it's the stat that the collective consciousness is real. I think empirically, through not only Jung's work, you know, um, the seventy-five, you know, fifty years after, um, that the collective unconscious is real. Um, and then, where's the collective consciousness? You know, the the collective unconscious waking up. Um, and the internet feels like a means to wake up the collective consciousness. Now, um, Jung and others have theorized if this happens, it's going to be, you know, hard. It's going to be given birth. Um, you would give birth to um, collective consciousness. And that doesn't mean we all can read each other's thoughts um, instantly, but I believe it means that our ability to react um in a unified manner is um you know one day compared to one year we're going to be able to move almost like a collective organism uh, that's Which i believe is, where we're going what's funny about that is it goes full circle back to what you said before about if the phenomenon sees us as one organism and it's almost like we're becoming what maybe what they wanted us to become <laughs> i it would like i guess it, it's probably anthropomizing it whatever the word is but like if i were an intelligence and i wanted to contact earth and right now earth was separated into 79 different tribes all believing that you know there should be the diplomat um i'm gonna wait until they organize themselves a little better um, you know, then the, the theorists of new world order and everything, it's like, I think just practically the phenomena would rather not deal with us collectively, um, as opposed to individually. When, and it's funny because I have to say the cliche, take me to your leader came into my head. And yeah. of course, of course it would make sense if we just had the one leader for them to be taken to. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and we don't have anything. We don't have, you know, that structured. You know, I know there's exopolitics being discussed at the UN, but that's really kind of like a, I think, a side project do over lunch. Um, I don't think they're really engaged with, okay, what if this happens? What's the protocol? And honestly, I think that every country would argue that they have a different protocol. You know, like yeah. one country... Yeah, one country might be like, hey, help us out with curing cancer. Another might be, hey, make us better ships. Another might be like, hey, you're from our religious text. Can you be our God again? You know, it's I think every country will respond differently. And that might be a little more. It might be more complicated to have that engagement because of that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It was that one Jim Carrey movie where he becomes God. And he has to um, answer the prayers and the prayers come through email. And the email is just like, you have like 30 billion unread messages. And um, so when we look at, and that's our ego talking, our ego consciousness, when we said we wanted to interact with us individually. And I think the evolution of any um, intelligent being will be to somehow eventually coalesce. Um, to be a collective and then maybe then um, we'll have some form of, I guess, contact disclosure. And people always talk about, you know, of course, some of these civilizations, if they are extraterrestrial, could have been around like billions of years, you know, longer than us, right? And could yeah. have reached a, a very different place in their civilization than we have. They could have already figured out a lot of these things and gotten over boundaries of, uh, you know, country lines and things like that and finished all their battles and finally figured it out, you know? Yeah, there's, and um, Nolan was talking with Lex Friedman. I think he asked him a question to the effect of, um, well, how does something that's conscious become physical? And Nolan went on to describe how, um, you could, you know, individually, uh, you know, charge individual molecules to do certain things. And then, us, you know, in theory, that could happen if you know what the goal is. So the idea that um, it could just, like an app, or you know, one day we'll have the science to be able to do that. Um, and once you get to that level, I imagine the science is just so quick when you're quantum computing some of this stuff. Well, I think quantum computers are where they're looking now, right? And actually, when I was doing research uh, initially on this topic, the UAP topic, I did not find just one place where they were working on moving craft with our brains. I found multiple projects working on that. And of course, yeah. You know, Elon Musk is working on putting chips inside our brains. And, you know, I feel like uh, we might be trying to speed up a process that maybe we would have come to on our own. I think we have um, maybe evolved to perceive some more things and maybe are trying to open our eyes to things a little bit more now. But I think we're going to use AI to speed that process up quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. And I was, you know, I'm not a tech guy, but I asked some, you know, tech guys like, you know, once we have a practically functioning quantum 
computing system. You know, all the a lot of these problems that we have not been able to solve, especially you know when they talk about space, quantum, um, that they'll be able to solve. And he's basically he's like, yeah, he's like, they recently did a quantum computer. Um, it took them, I don't, a couple minutes to uh, solve this equation that would have taken regular computers a hundred years. Um, so multiply that by a thousand equations. You can feed this thing a thousand equations a day. Um, and now we're, you know, millennia in the future when it comes to our knowledge. It's, well, if knowing it's used away. Right. So knowing that, that we are, you know, pretty much catching up as, as much as possible to the phenomenon in some ways. Um, which hypothesis do you feel like you kind of lean towards? It sounds like you spoke a lot about the control hypothesis from ballet. Um, and of course, you know, there's a possibility that we touched on ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, a little bit. Um, but which way do you feel like you're leaning or are you just staying open to any possibility? I'll always stay open um, because in it's self-serving. It's more fun to stay open uh, to everything um, than close myself off. I So I believe um, the UFO phenomena, um, as we call it now, um, is not just UFOs, um, but it's also ghosts, and it's also um, out-of-body experiences. I mean, all these things overlap in a Venn diagram type of way, um, which then leads my hypothesis that, you know, whatever the collective unconscious that, you know, the, um, the consciousness that spawned each individual consciousness to be able to reflect on it, um, there's no bounds to that. Um, complexes, daemons, um, you, he let it open that the collective unconscious could ontologically be its own society and uh, have certain aspects of the phenomena that do um, these things, certain aspects that do these things, that they're just as disparate and unorganized as humanity. Um, and there's even further theory that, you know, we are the collective unconscious of that, um, you know, reality. That is the yin and yang. You know, we're kind of on top of one another. But they look at us as, you know, their collective unconscious as we look at them. And, you know, we're basically staring in the mirror. So I believe a lot of it originates from the collective unconscious. That doesn't mean they're not intelligent and mm -hmm. under their own volition. Um, and it doesn't mean they're physical, but I believe they use that as a means to get here. Well, what's interesting about that is it's almost a, another way of thinking of interdimensional. Yes, right? exactly. And that's right. how uh, Young called the collective unconscious because that's the term of the time, you know, and in his letters with uh, uh, Polly, the Young Polly letters, um, you know, he, that's exactly what he was saying. He, he was telling Polly that, you know, you're describing quantum physics to me with different words that I was describing psychology that they mimic mm -hmm. each other. Um, so there's, there, there's, it, there's a hard science to it. Right. And I think that's what I'm 
discovering the more I explore this. I'm definitely, you know, obviously taking the research approach and trying to explore as much as I can and understand it. And I'm also trying to do it in a way that that's tangible for the general public. So that's why I'm always kind of picking at, well, that sounds like that word and whatever. I'm like, you know, we got to simplify mm -hmm. things. I think we get lost a little bit in some of the more complicated um, concepts. And really just, you know, when you're going to be having a conversation at Thanksgiving about interdimensional beings, <laughs> we better be able to <laughs> to explain it to to Uncle Joe. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we can't we can't be throwing out things that they don't understand. So I don't know. I think that. Also, in, in my experience so far, looking at everything, there's a lot of different things going on and there are some common patterns. So. Yes, there's, there's a lot of pattern. I mean, as far as my hypothesis, that's as certain as I could get now. It's real. I don't know why or how, but it's real. Yeah, I think we're all sighing finally that the government has accepted that admitting that as well right finally after well i mean, people say 70 yeah. years but we know it's longer right we're um, yes. personal well it was rude for me to say that to my wife be like see i told you i know, you know i know yeah. i i i believe <laughs> Right. I also greatly appreciate having a law on the books to point out to people, you know, yeah. someone's taking this seriously. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, then that's an element uh, that stigma is still there. You know, even though we're talking mm -hmm. openly here, the stigma is still there. Just, all right. Well, let me preface yeah. this. I know. I think that um, it's interesting. I will tell you since I am in the field of psychology that you'll appreciate, I have told some of my coworkers about my interest in UFOs and instead of being ridiculed or laughed at or whatever, they were very open-minded and one of them turned around and told me their UFO story. <laughs> and that's um, when you do like general research, I think it's over half the population has had a paranormal experience in their lifetime so um when we're saying that these are rare not they're not all rare you're you know it's like a flip of a coin if you're going to have a experience that you can't explain right well i think that if more people were looking for it it would probably as they say look back right it is it's reactive i always say that to my mm -hmm. clients that Whatever you're dealing with, if it's part of the collective unconscious, you know that it's reactive, and we know that this is a co-creative process that no one is under. You're under no one's control. Mm -hmm. So I know that we are wrapping up um, shortly because we've reached an hour, and I and I really want to give you a chance to talk about the web page that you're building based on your interest and your background. Can you please tell listeners about that? Yeah. Yeah. So at first, um, I was, uh, so I've been for decades, um, just, you know, personally. Um, and I, there was a time I was like 14 years old, many majors. I had all my collection of UFO books and haunting books and VHSs of all my bed and my mom came in she's like what is this 
and I said, this is the beautiful underground. <laughs> it just came out. So this idea that um, at least there was a lot of fear to the unknown. And I always thought it was fun. And that's why I was like, hey, this is this is fun to go in these different things. So start researching, you know, practicing and trying to be more serious. And I got to the point where I had more to say. So I was like, I'm going to start a blog. And then I'm, you know, start writing and my my research is all over the place. So I got some over here so when I'm trying to reference something because I'm, you know, academic to a fault sometimes. Um, it takes me a half hour to track down where I heard that one phrase that I want to now, you know, reference in what I'm writing. So I'm going to just upload all my research in a like a web server organization. So um, I can take all my and, and do content analysis on it. I'm starting to do meta analysis on. So I'm never going to be able to read the thousands of um, UFO books that are out there of people and their experiences. But if all those books were somehow uploaded into a server and you can do like um, content analysis on the whole corpus, you could find patterns that we aren't recognizing right now. So I have this big idea that I'll be able to do something like that. But the thought behind it is I want to organize my research exactly for, for me. Um, and in the process, if other people find that, hey, I like the way that is. And when I upload articles, I feel I'm going to do it in a way that you can search them, uh, the content of it, not just an image. So that's the idea and it's just fun i i'm you know i'm having a good time with it right now right probably well, about three know, months I'll be well you know i'm gonna put that on the ufo connector because it sounds fascinating just so you're gonna have to message me as soon as it's live <laughs> absolutely yeah you're going on my i'm always on your site and i have like a list of what I'm just calling friends to just be like, cause obviously I'm pulling information from her. And I think that's kind of where a lot of it starts. It's just like, man, I wish mm -hmm. I had everything that I would need in one spot. And then right. I wouldn't have to go all over. Um, well, so it's yeah. a very self-serving venture. And if other people like it, awesome. Well, yeah, I think I was frustrated because when I was doing my research, I was finding things hidden all over the place and it was not, connected which is exactly why i named it a connector <laughs> you know yeah, so good, yeah. like so i and then i also wanted to support all the work other people had done so i wanted people to not start from scratch like i had felt like i had to do it's um, a fabulous job um right it's yeah i mean get in there and it's it's nice and simple um you know and that's one thing about my say i don't think I'm going to do like ads or anything. It's just going to be like, all right, this is for all of y'all. I right. want it to be fast and quick. And Right. And I'm glad you're taking the fun approach. You know, it's funny. Um, people don't always react well to my approach to the phenomenon. I do not have the level of fear that I have encountered in other people. I actually think of it as natural and that's not a, <laughs> yeah. always taken very well <laughs> but but I'll, i have I'll a take similar the... idea about it yeah i know i'm, I'm not afraid i'm like hey come on 
and then they talk about oh yeah initiating contact i'm like hey don't mind if i do like <laughs> you yeah know, I'm, I'm not so bad that i'm like out there saying okay just put me on your ship per se like i've heard people say that and i've been told oh, yeah. that I've been made fun of and told that I'd be the person on top of the tower with the sign if a big ship showed up in Independence Day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, yeah. I don't think I'm that. I don't think I'm that far. I think it's more like when we have a discussion. To me, it's almost like we're talking about whales or anything that's natural yeah. to me, like comets, asteroids. All of that's natural to me. We could be talking about. You know um a nasa spacecraft you know it's like to me it's just part of the natural world so i hope more people are able to embrace it in a positive way either the, with the fun or the natural or if they're not and they're still struggling they have learned from this discussion that there's people available who are going to yes. support that process there's um people who are doing the work like you and there's people at opus and there's experiencer support groups so people who are struggling with it will find somebody if they need it absolutely yeah um you know and i i always say just from an ethical standpoint that you know the beautiful underground is not affiliated with my private practice but it's it's my passion they're both my passion so um, if anybody's out there who sees this, is like, yeah, I have a lot of questions. I get a lot of DMs um, mm -hmm. like that. And just, and I, they just times just need it framed in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's just a matter of, okay, when you go in, you want to ask these questions. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, I feel better. Now I have three questions I'm going to ask when I go to my therapist to see if it's going to mm -hmm. be a fit or not. Right. And of course, I would like to, for anyone listening who is having issues with mental health and is hesitant to speak to a therapist, I'd like to remind you, as we said earlier, a therapist is not supposed to be judging the cause. They're supposed to be treating the symptoms. And if you are struggling, they're getting literally paid to help people who are struggling. And if you just are in, in with one that's not the right match, you're going to find out there's going to be people like Chris who are. So don't give up. Um, your mental health is extremely important. I just wanted to make sure people heard that. <laughs> absolutely. So, absolutely. There are a lot right. of people out there to help. Right. Um, so, Chris, could you please let people know where they can find you? Um, right now, the only place I'm at um, is Twitter. Um, I'm a social media noob as of four months ago, but I'm at Ghost Archetype um, or at Ghost Archetype. And the beautiful underground is my my title and my name. Um, my name is Chris. Um, but, you know, the irony of all this is as I'm talking about how we need to be more open um, and, you know, not give in to the stigma. I'm still just Chris and, not, uh, you know, I'm still semi-anonymous. So, um, so, so am I. Twitter. So am I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't feel well, like having this conversation yet. You know. <laughs> I, I think my reasoning is a little different. But uh, I will say that I did think of another reason 
I work with children a great deal, and I really don't think they need to see me on the internet talking about DMT elves. <laughs> That's another reason right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I like the X-Files, and there's this one person I follow. She always puts X-Files stuff up, but supposedly she does like... Um, seductive fan fiction with the X-Files and her students. She's a high school teacher and her students found out. That's just, to me, that's just as funny. Like, you've got to be careful what you put out there. I know. We were talking recently about some people have had some very interesting teachers right now, for instance, some people have Rick Doty as their math teacher and some people had wow. Heineck as a teacher, <laughs> you know, like how cool wow. was that? But, yeah. anyway, but, but, you know, that's okay. They don't need to know what I'm doing. Uh, and for, in my mind, I'm doing it kind of for everyone in the world, but yeah, that's cool. I, they, I could just be their counselor. That's fine. <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and as any counselor, even if, you know, that wasn't your perspective, you know, our worldview shouldn't be intruding into session. You know, we, space for them so regardless of my badge that space is saved for them and we need to remember that regardless of our of our opinions Absolutely. it helps though if you believe right it is it is helpful to be supportive and you know it's funny i just i'm just gonna chime in i i have this need to <laughs> to explain these things to people it's, it's very similar to, for instance, someone who's going through something in their life, they're going to go to the minister of their church. You know, they're not necessarily going to go to another church, another person, uh, another reverend of someone else's church. So, it, you know, you can almost say comparatively, if someone's having an issue in their life related to APs, it makes sense. They would want to go to a therapist that would understand and believe. <laughs> As opposed to yeah. a, another religion, <laughs> like, or another, you know, a person that doesn't. So it just don't feel bad if you need someone who's a believer to be your therapist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that helps for me. I mean, people, um, you know, even like uh, spiritual based counselors have, you know, sometimes they, whether it's a Christian, you know, backing or whatever it is. So um, it helps. And, you know, self disclosure. Um, but you know, it's I have to at least admit it. Um, you know, to an extent, my experience is if I want people them to admit them to me to or process them with me, admit is the wrong word. But. Okay. Well, again, I want to thank you very much for coming and talking to me. I greatly appreciate um, that you gave me your time. And that you have so many interesting things to provide um, to people in the community, uh, information, a future website, all kinds of information about young, you know, so much going on, support, all of those wonderful things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't speak for the entire community, but I can say I appreciate it a great deal. And um, again, please remind people where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, the Beautiful Underground at Ghost Archetype. Um, and the website will, I, I'd probably give it a two, three month timeline. Um, okay. But it, you know, it'd be a great resource. Another resource for researchers like the UFO Connector. It's more it's out there, the 
the better we are. Right. Absolutely. Again, thank you very much. And I'm going to go ahead and sign off. This is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast. Um, I can be found at Twitter at Study of UAPs. Also, I am on LinkedIn, Facebook, and I can be seen on YouTube with Calling All Beings. Okay, have a good night, everybody, and have a good day if it's a different time zone. Bye, everybody. See you, Deb. Bye.